you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from July 10, 2022. The text was 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, this past Tuesday morning at our men's Bible study, uh, I was challenged uh, by our topic and, and by the leader uh, that came that uh, Tuesday morning. We had a, a guest speaker. Um, I, he's new to the area and, and uh, attends Living Hope. He's getting ready to move into a house over uh, at the rest home. Um, but I was challenged by him by the topic that he talked about. That when I preach and uh, when I live out my life, uh, for that matter, that the things that come out of me should be an overflow of what God has been teaching me and doing in my life. I think we had talked about this one Wednesday evening. Uh, Leslie had brought it up. But the overflow, being filled up by God, and then what comes out should be an overflow of that. So that evening, um, I had the idea that maybe... Um, one way that I could preach this passage today, if, it's, if I'm supposed to have an overflow coming out, would be to, uh, to allow God to work through what other pastors had learned from this passage. Um, I haven't done this before, so I googled 1 Timothy 2, 1-7, and I found a sermon on YouTube that, that looked uh, legit. I mean, you've got to be careful, obviously. And I watched that. Um, and as I listened to this, to this fellow preach uh, this passage... I learned from what he had learned, and I was amazed at what God was saying through Paul, and I was challenged to change my way of thinking, my way of acting. And so my desire is to share with you the overflow that God has given to me uh, from this passage in my hopes that you too will be filled, that you will learn what God has to teach you, that you will be amazed by him, by his word, and that you will be challenged to look and act more like Christ. Uh, as a result of that, so you too can share from your overflow. As I begin reading through this passage over the last uh, couple weeks um, and thinking what it was that Paul was trying to tell Timothy and tell us today, my outline in my head began to form something like this. You should really pray for everyone, especially your government officials. After all, when you, when you uh, have good leaders... Then your life goes pretty well for you. And oh, by the way, God wants everyone to be saved and to go to heaven for eternity. And of course, we all know that Jesus is the only way to God. And obviously, Paul is a messenger to the Gentiles to share this truth with them. But the focus of the passage was on pray for everybody, especially your leaders, so that you can have a, a comfortable life. And then the rest of it was just kind of a parenthesis. But as I listened to this sermon, my outline began to change a little bit. Instead of praying for your government officials being Paul's main point, I began to realize that maybe his main point of these verses was actually in the middle of this passage. That this, the end wasn't, the middle there wasn't just some parenthetical statement at the end of his command to pray for everybody. And we see this in verses three and four, where he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, 
who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. So I began to see that maybe this is Paul's main point. And as I studied this out, I began to realize that maybe Paul is reminding Timothy and us today that God is in the business of redeeming lives, that he's inviting men and women from all over the globe into a personal, restored relationship with himself. The perfect, holy, righteous God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, wants a relationship with everyone. He wants them to accept his free gift of salvation and eternal life with himself. And as I listened to this sermon, and I studied and thought this passage out, I learned in a deeper way that Jesus is in the business of restoring the relationship between God and people. Of course, I've always known this. I mean, I was a missions major in college. This, this is like elementary. You should know that. But I began to understand it in a little uh, bit better way, maybe a different way through this passage. So if it's important, if it is important to Jesus that people are released from the bondage of sin and that they are in a right relationship with God the Father, then if we call Jesus our Lord and ourselves his followers, it should be important to us as well. If it's important to Jesus as his followers, it should be important to us as well that all men have their relationship with him restored. And as I thought through this, the Spirit kind of nudged me and said, Am I really, are you really concerned about others knowing Christ and having their sins forgiven? To which my reply was, of course. I mean, any, any even a mediocre Christian would say, of course, to that. Um, of course, I deeply desire that my children, my family, and the kids in our church, my friends, and the people that I like, of course it's important to me that they accept Jesus as Savior and live in a vibrant relationship with himself. Friday evening we went over to the uh, Greensboro Firemen's Carnival. I don't know if anybody's ever been that. This was a first for us. Um, and as I watched the people there, I must admit, I was kind of um, surprised at how interesting the people were there. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, as, I mean, and it was crowded. There was a lot of people there. And as I looked at these people going back and forth, the thought kind of hit me. You know, God, this verse came to mind, and God wants all men to be saved. And as I watched a bunch of pregnant teenage girls that were already dragging toddlers around, it kind of made the, the, the comment, there's a lot of pregnant women here. And these women were young, and they already had young kids. And you could see them kind of, one thought that went through my mind is, man, I'm glad I don't push a stroller anymore. Because um, it was like chaos. Um, but as I see these young pregnant teenage girls dragging toddlers around, and I see the loser guys that they're with, and I kept smelling marijuana in the air, I kept being reminded that it should be important to me as well that these people know Jesus. And it, when they see a lot of people like that, it just kind of hits you. That it's not just for my friends and my family, but it's for everyone, and that it should be important to me. So that's kind of the backdrop of, of what I've has been going through my mind and stuff. So if Paul's main point to Timothy in these verses is that people know Jesus, then what do the preceding verses have to do with that? 
And as I watched this sermon uh, the other evening, I began to understand it a little better. So with the main point being in the middle of our passage today, and we have kind of already established what that is, that all men know Jesus, it's important to him, and to know the truth. Let's work backwards now and see what the first two verses have to do with verses 3 and 4. So again, 3 and 4 say, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the church, the truth. So God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. And verse 3 said, This is good and pleases God our Savior. So the question becomes, what is good and what pleases Him? Um, and in verses 1 and 2, we find two commands that Paul gives to Timothy that pleases God. Again, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand. So in my mind, living out verses 1 and 2 is one way that we should be involved in spreading God's good news of salvation and truth. Does that make sense? He's saying, here's two commands. We'll get to them here in just a second. Here's two commands. These things please God, the God who wants everyone to understand and to come to a saving knowledge of himself. So what is it in verse 1 and 2 that pleases again? And again, we're going to work backwards, so we're going to go with the second part of verse 2 that says, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So as I studied this out and thought about this and listened to the sermon, I began to understand that God is saying when we live lives that are peaceful and quiet, lives that are marked by godliness and dignity, then others who see us are attracted to Him. But what does this look like? I think Paul goes into more detail. Uh, in the next chapter or so, the next uh, few sermons that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. Um, but for today's passage, I wish I could give you an example of how I exemplify this, that of how I exemplify a, a peaceful and quiet life marked by godliness and dignity. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to give you an example of how I failed. Um, we just finished roughing in this house in Lewis. It's taken a while. Um, the homeowner keeps changing her mind and her husband's mind and, and all that. The thing has like seven bathrooms. The house is, is, I mean, it's a big house, but it's not, it's not big enough to have seven bathrooms, two kitchen sinks, um, two laundry rooms, three water heaters, and a, actually has a bathtub in the shower. I guess that's a thing these days. Um, probably never get used, but whatever. Um, but anyway, it, the house has been crazy. We've been working on it for a while. And so I had left a couple of my guys there to finish the water lines up and get it ready for inspection. Uh, and we do that by putting water on the drain lines and, and air on the water lines and uh, air pressure on them, pump it up to 65, 70 pounds. Well, we couldn't get it to hold air. They couldn't get it to hold air. I wasn't, I, I left them to do that because it's a pain. Um, and there were some leaks and it's, and it's a hard. It's we have. A, it's hard to find it because it, sometimes it's just a little bit of air, and you're not. Sometimes if you don't glue a fitting, sometimes it'll pop off. Sometimes it won't, and it's you, you don't hear it. You can't. So you got to go around and take a, a bottle of soap and you spray every fitting, and you look and you look. And this this took two or three days. I mean, it took a long a long time. Um, and and that's how long it took because there there wasn't just one. Um, 
Well, we're swamped at work. I got people calling me, when are you coming to my job? When are you coming to my job? And I didn't feel like I had two or three days to fix a couple mistakes um, that I thought shouldn't have been made, but we all make mistakes, so whatever. But but I was a little perturbed about this whole thing, not with just just in in general, not mad at anyone, too mad at anyone, but but I mean just a little aggravated over the whole thing because of everything going on. Um, and so one of the electricians on another job that I was on overheard a phone conversation that that I had as I was talking to one of my guys there, and I don't remember being upset or I definitely didn't yell at anybody or anything like that but but he got the impression that I was a little bit upset and and uh or pretty upset actually and uh and again I don't I don't even remember the conversation but it must have left an impression on it because the next day he said to one of my other guys that were with him on a different job man is Jerry all right he was he was pretty upset yesterday and uh and so it must have left an impression on him um and it wasn't a positive one. I wasn't living a life uh, marked by peace and quietness and godliness and dignity. So I allowed a simple, a few leaks and a couple lost hours um, to have a negative impact on someone else's life. But Paul says, live a life filled with peacefulness, quietness, godliness, and dignity so that others can see the difference that Christ has made in your life because it's really important to Christ that all men are saved. So my actions affect what people, what people see, what people think about Christ. So what does my life look like to other people? What does your life look like? Is it a positive message or is it a negative one? Paul tells the Philippian church in his letter to him, and we've already gone through this, but he says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. And then down a little bit farther, verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So I think it's safe to say that when we live peaceful, quiet lives, full of godliness and dignity, then others will look at us and say, wow, there's something different about them, and I want what they have. And God is pleased because he desires that all men be saved and have a knowledge of the truth. And so the opposite is true as well. When I'm loud, when I'm demanding and pushy and selfish, people look at me and say, oh, wow, that guy's a pastor. Why would I bother listening to him? He's a jerk. So that is, comes from, from verse 2. But what about verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2? It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. So basically, pray for people and live lives that reflect the character of Christ because this pleases God who wants everyone to be saved. 
So how do these two things tie together, praying for people and living these things out? Well, the obvious way, the most obvious way, is that God wants us to pray for the salvation of others. But I think there's also a little bit more than just that. Have you ever prayed for someone, a big request for someone? I think we all have, I'm sure. Someone has cancer, so you pray earnestly for that, that God will heal them. Or maybe somebody's struggling with an addiction and you pray, uh, you're praying that they will find uh, victory in that. Whatever the request is, when you're earnestly praying for someone else, your attitude towards them changes and your actions might look a little bit different towards them as well. When we are praying for someone, we begin seeing that person more like God sees them, and we start having a different attitude and treat them differently, because after all, God wants them to be saved, or if they're already a believer, to grow in their relationship with Him. So why does Paul specifically name kings and rulers here? Again, as I said earlier, at face value, it reads like we should pray for our rulers so we can have peaceful lives. That when we pray for them, when they start acting right, then we lead peaceful lives. As I thought about this, I had to ask myself the question, as I thought about that whole concept, what does the political climate that I live in really have to do with me living a life that mirrors Christ? What is the situations around me Why does that really affect me living like Christ? Do I have to live in a land flowing with milk and honey in order to live a Christ-like life? Sometimes we like to think that it's necessary. But I have to ask myself again, what was the political situation that Christ was born into? Was it all peaches and cream? Of course not. Right from the get-go, Herod wanted to kill him when he was a baby. Even in his birth, they had, Mary and Joseph had to travel uh, for the census and everything. As he grew and, and began his ministry, the Romans, or throughout his whole life, the Romans were oppressing the Jewish people. And then during his ministry, the Jewish leaders hated him. And ultimately, the two, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, conspired together and hung him on a cross to die. And as an example to us, Jesus prayed for those ruling over him as he hung on the cross dying. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Paul and Timothy's political situation wasn't much better than Christ. Paul had just been in prison. He had just been released from prison not too long before this, it seems. And the church was beginning to face persecution from the Romans um, as well, and it was only getting ready to get worse. So I think Paul's saying, pray for everyone, especially those you may view as your enemies. The the church was probably seeing the government officials as somebody that was oppressing them. He says, pray for everybody, especially those who you may view as your enemies, because when you pray earnestly for for someone, you begin to see them as God sees them and affects your attitude towards them, and it affects your attitudes, your actions toward them as well. And God is pleased because he wants even your enemies to be saved and to know the truth. So pray for everyone, especially your enemies, and live lives that exemplify Christ because that pleases God because it's how he uses us to show the world his good news. So what about the remaining verses uh, after the, the middle section that we 
that I feel is the main point. As we've already read, verse 4 says, so that they may be saved and know the truth. Verse 5 and 6 tell us what the truth is. And I want to add here just that this truth is fundamental. It's, it's the core to all that we as Christ followers believe. And verse 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So we should pray that others may come to know and believe this truth. Our lives should exemplify, exemplify that this truth is alive and well in our hearts and in our lives. However, as I continue to look at this, our responsibility doesn't end there. And neither did Paul's. And he says this in verse 7. He says, And I have been chosen as a preacher and an apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. So we can pray for the lost. We can live a life, a Christ-like life that's attractive to the world. But until they hear the message, they will not know the truth. And if they don't know the truth, they will not come to a saving knowledge of God. And they will spend eternity without Christ. God desires all people to be saved. And he's, giving us, he's given us this sobering yet glorious privilege of being his messengers. And when we're obedient to the task of praying for living Christ-like lives and sharing the truth with others... God is pleased. If we are true Christ followers, then we should be busy about doing his business. I know our roles in carrying, this out, carrying out this task will look a little bit different from each other's, but we should all have that same goal. So in closing today, let me give us one challenge that I feel fits all of us in our different roles of being his messengers. And I'd like for you to pick three different people. I've done this since when I listened to the sermon. I kind of got this thought, and I've, I've been doing this throughout this week. But I want you to pick three different people that you will commit to pray for for at least the next two weeks. We should all be able to, to do that, right? Pray for, for three people for two weeks. And, and to be serious about it. Again, we call ourselves Christ followers, and I think it's pretty evident that he's calling us to pray for all people. So if we can pick three. And the first person I want you to choose should be someone that you know who's not know Jesus as their Savior. Somebody that's not a believer that, that you might know well, you might not know him very well. Just choose somebody out there that, that you know needs Christ. So my challenge is to, for you to pray for that person for the next two weeks. And in your interactions with them, be, let your actions be Christ-like towards them. And then in whatever way that Christ lays it on your heart, share the truth. So pray for them, live a Christ-like example to them, and in whatever way that, that God has gifted you, whatever way he lays it on your heart, share truth with them. The second person that I'd like for you to choose would be a believer, but one someone that is struggling in their faith and in their, and in their walk. 
And again, pray for that person. Be a Christ-like example to them. And in some way, speak truth to them. And then finally, the third person I'd like would be a fellow believer. But one that you are struggling with, to walk with. Somebody in this church, somebody in another church. I'm sure somebody pops into your mind. You know, the person that's kind of like the government, government official that you'd just like to give a, a piece of your mind to. It's funny, when I wrote, was typing this out, I spelled peace, P-E-A-C-E. I quickly had to back up. That's not what I meant. <laughs> but pick, choose whoever it is that comes to your mind. Earnestly pray for that person. Live a Christ-like life towards them and share truth with them in whatever way that Christ leads you to do that. Because as we learn today, these things please God, and we should be busy about doing His work. You've been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from July 10, 2022. The passage was 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1-7. Take care.